Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer here. Another Baseball America Playoff Podcast. We have a lot to cover today because... For one, we have a World Series. We know it's going to be raised Dodgers. But but more importantly for this podcast, for two, we had two game sevens. We could have had, you know, you, you game seven, LCS game sevens are relatively rare. There aren't that many of them. So you have to enjoy them anytime you get them. But to get two in the same year is a bountiful harvest. And we have a lot to talk about with those two games because not only do we have two game sevens, but we had two game sevens. Thankfully, we didn't have the the Dodgers, you know, 15, what was the final? 15-2, whatever, you know, like we didn't have an 11 run first where you go, okay, it's a game seven, but this game's over before it started. We had last night's, the Braves-Dodgers game seven felt like we had about, 75 plot twist in that game. I mean, you had it from the start where the Braves seemed like they had a chance to blow open the game in the first inning. The Braves probably had two different times in that game where they had innings where they scored and the inning ended. And if you're a Dodgers fan, you were happier about the fact of what happened than the Braves fans, even though the Braves in both cases took the lead. That's how crazy last night was when the dust clears, the Dodgers come from behind, knock off the Braves in a, I I will call it thrilling, a thrilling 4-3 game seven. And by doing so, the last time we talked on the podcast, we were looking at a situation where the Dodgers were going to have to go 3-0 and all the Braves had to do was go 1-2 over the weekend. And the Dodgers went three and zero. So Kyle, like, what stood out to you most from this come from behind Dodgers win in advance? First and foremost, you have to give the Dodgers players a ton of credit. This is an incredibly talented team, and we talked about this that you can never, ever, ever count them out. We had talked about earlier how if they went down two zero, you still kind of like their chances. When they went down 3-1, when Bryce Wilson shoved against them, that's when I think people started to feel a little bit more nervous, knowing, hey, Anderson and Creed are going to go, but this is the best team in baseball. They can score on anyone, and they did. I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest change in games 5, 6, 7 compared to 1 through 4, the bullpen stepped up. You know, We had talked earlier in the series about how they didn't really have that finishing option, how they were going to have to mix and match it. Well, they did mix and match it, and it worked out. Kenley Jansen was able to figure some things out, and his delivery was better. It was you know, still a lot of 91 to 94, but that's a lot better than 88 to 89. It was a lot more effective. He looked more confident out there. We saw that in the results. I mean, overall, the Dodgers' bullpen, so game five, after the one-inning start, eight innings, one run allowed. Game six, after Walker Bueller was brilliant, three innings, one run allowed. Game seven, if you count Maine Gonsolin as kind of a tandem starter, 
and you just go the final six innings, six innings, no runs allowed. That's 17 innings, two runs allowed over games five, six, and seven from their bullpen. That's a huge difference. I mean, again, the players stepped up on the pitching side and that bought their offense time to come back. We saw Will Smith's home run that really turned the series in game five. They came back yesterday in game six. They were able to hold off a Braves potential rally there. Once Blake Trinan came in, Nick Markakis led off with a triple. The bullpen stepped up that bought the Dodgers offense time for comebacks. And that to me is the biggest difference in why they were able to win games five, six, and seven. Yeah, I, I mean, it was impressive. That Julio Urias last night, talk about taking a game and just grabbing hold and saying, I, I'm going to finish this off. That was a, a very impressive, actually went longest of, of any of the uh, the Dodgers pitchers and and really never got into trouble. I just sat there and with the game on the line, with no net, no margin of error, he just did it inning after inning after inning. So yeah, he did three, three. three perfect innings. Can't ask for anything more than that. And, you know, his emergence this postseason has been really, really, really something the Dodgers have benefited greatly from. I put it out there on Twitter last night, 16 innings, one earned run allowed this postseason. He's had some really good starts. He's had some good long relief appearances. You know, with Walker Bueller coming off blister issues, Clayton Kershaw having the back issue, getting scratched, and then not pitching very well in this NLCS. You know, Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin, the Dodgers have kind of been messing around with their roles a little bit. We can debate the wisdom of that. But Julio Urias has really, really stepped up. They needed him to, and he's done it so far. He deserves a lot of credit for the Dodgers being where they are right now. And the thing about it is, is in that game seven, the Dodgers starting pitching depth actually did manifest itself in a very different way but they essentially threw their not their their three four and five starters in that game and between them now again as you said may and gonsolin didn't pitch great i mean dustin may it he got out of it but what first nine pitches were balls i mean it was not you know his his best outing and tony gonsolin was not particularly sharp either um but you look at it, and at the end of the day, those three guys together gave them six innings. It meant that you only had to rely on two innings from Blake Trinan and one from Bruce Dargraderall. The reality of it is, is that that was more than what the Braves got because Ian Anderson went three, and they could have left him out there for another inning, but at the same time, it made sense that they pulled him. He was getting hit hard. He was also you know, getting dodging some, uh, some trouble, but at the end of the day, the, the the one on the brave side, AJ Minter had pitched so well in his surprise spot start. But I also wonder if he was really the guy to go to there because it wasn't that many days since he went further than he had ever gone in a professional game. So, you know, he's the one who ends up uh, getting hit around a little bit. That said, it was, Chris Martin's on the you know, on the mound when the the for the uh, for the game winner, and I, I don't think there's anyone that the Braves would rather have on the mound than Chris Martin in that situation. That was your main guy, one of your main guys in the key situation. It didn't work out for him, but I, I think when we talk about the game seven, the the thing that you have to go back to is the Braves had those couple of opportunities early on, where 
if you turn one run into two or three, that's the difference in the game. And that's what didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, we saw the base running mistake, although give Justin Turner credit there for uh, for making a nice play, you know, and, and then having the awareness to uh, to go get that second out. I think for me, both teams at various points in this series, you could point to situations where they left guys on base, you know, mistake here, mistake there. And at the end of the day, it just came down to which team was able to execute best in the decisive game seven. And that was the Dodgers. I think in almost any series, every losing team can point to a moment where, oh, you know, if we'd gotten three runs here instead of one, if we hadn't made this defensive mistake, if we hadn't made this bit base running mistake, I mean, mistakes are going to happen. It's part of the game. I think for me, it's more about the Dodgers coming through and executing. Again, their pitching staff really stepped up. You mentioned those six innings. It was six hitless innings. They held the Braves hitless over the final six. And then Enrique Hernandez doing what he does best, crushing lefties. And, And Cody Bellinger's home run, the game winner, I actually thought the pitch before the home run was the one that made you feel like, ooh, something good's about to happen here. So Cody Bellinger, when he's off, and he was off for a lot of this season, and he's been off in the postseason before, He's pulling off of everything. That front shoulder is flying open and he's not able to touch anything lower away. The pitch before the home run, Chris Martin actually threw him a pretty nasty cutter on the outer half. Bellinger stayed in on it, fouled it away. When he did that, that was like, oh, Cody Bellinger's feeling it. He's in a really good place as a hitter right now. Next pitch, boom, hit it a mile. And again, you just give the Dodgers players credit here for coming up big and big spots making big plays on both sides of the ball. Again, Will Smith's home run in game five turned around. And oh, by the way, Mookie Betts becoming a defensive highlight reel in right field, not just making highlight reel catches, making highlight reel catches at critical moments in the game. This guy's a superstar. We've known that. It's still incredibly exciting to watch. And we've talked about this. I I have long felt like I've said on this podcast, the Dodgers are the most talented team in baseball by a fair margin. The Braves played great, great, great baseball the first five games, first four games, and they didn't play terribly these final three either. Just the Dodgers' depth of talent kind of showed up, and and that's a credit to the Dodgers players and and the team that was built. And this is where I'm going to flip it. I I grew up in Georgia. I... (laughs) My, my, my phone is full of uh, friends of mine who are, who are diehard Braves fans, and they've gone through a lot. I mean, again, the funny thing is, is they've gone through a lot, but at the same time, like, it, it's that, adult, that old adage, would you rather be good but just fall short, or would you rather, you know, w- would you rather be, would you rather be the, the, the Royals, uh, put it this way, the Royals have two World Series appearances since you know in the 21st century and a world series title the braves have neither at the same time you know this is kind of the the yin and the yang at the same time if you look at the totality of the 21st century and really we can go back to the 1990s you go back to the 1990s then you go one to one but the braves have generally been consistently very good the braves are a team that often wins their division the braves are a team that is regularly in the playoffs. They just haven't had that success when they get there. I, I'm probably too objective on these things. I kind of, my, my fandom that I have in another sport, I'm a Steelers fan in football. The rule has always been, if you make it to the final four, 
you could never complain about a season. I think that's a fair rule. I think that's a reasonable rule. If Agreed. you're one of the four best in the in baseball out of 30 teams, I don't know how you can say that season was just disheartening. I know that the ending may be disheartening, but the reality of it is, and again, we're talking about the Dodgers. This is the same thing with the Dodgers. The Dodgers may win it this year, but if they don't, this is going to be a team that gets there, gets there, gets there, and has failed to win the ultimate prize since 1988. They have a long run of greatness that hasn't reached the final pinnacle for them as well. But if you're the Braves, this was a season that looked like it could have been, you know, World Series, you know, winning year. Absolutely. That said, from where we started the season to now, if you'd have said Mike Soroka, who was Mike Max Fried has turned into an ace, but Mike Soroka was the ace. He goes down. Cole Hamels, they took a gamble on him, but Cole Hamels throws three innings for them all year. Two members of their opening day rotation turn into pumpkins in Mike fulton and uh, Sean Newcomb. Felix Hernandez, who was going to be their five starter if he was, but he opts out because of COVID. So we've literally just talked about a, a, a full rotation of starters who they didn't have, you know, five. I mean, that's crazy. You look at this team and you look at them going forward. The thing that the Braves have for the next seven years is they have Ozzy Alves and they have Ronald Acuna. Two of their three best players are under contract for a very, very long time. This team basically, yes, they, they have, they're going to have to rebuild the bullpen somewhat because Melanson, there's a number of these very good veteran relievers they have who are hitting free agency. Marcelo Zuno will be a free agent. Those are, those are key pieces. That said, for a team that has some uh, more than 60, you know, a lot of money coming off the books because of free agency in an off season where I mean, I've got a story coming at some point about this, but the, 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 the free agent market looks bleak for players in the off season. They would seemingly be in a position that this is not okay. They've now peaked and now they're going to see how long they can hold it together. This is a team that will, should be a contender in 2021, 2022 and 2023. And beyond you get past three years, who knows how to predict anything at that point. But that said, this is a team that should be there for a while to come. I know if you're a Braves fan, you're probably utterly, you know, disheartened by where it is right now. But the reality of it is, is that the best that you can hope for for a team, there is a, a, there's no guarantees. We just saw this with the Dodgers. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball, biggest payroll, acquired one of the two best players in baseball before the season. And they almost had their season end in the LCS. There's no guarantees. The Braves though are a team that will continue to be there year after year going forward. And that's to me as a fan, that's you're just hoping that one of those years, everything comes together and clicks. Look, I, I get it. You're up three games to one in a series. You have leads in two of the games where you could finish it off game five. They had a lead in the sixth inning game seven. They had a lead in the sixth inning to not be able to finish it hurts as a fan. I get that 100%, but this is a really, really, really talented Braves team. This is a very, very young Braves team in a lot of ways. This is a Braves team that has more talent coming up behind it. The Braves are going to be here for a while. This is absolutely a team that going into the meat of the 2020s here has 
as good of a chance as any to come away with a World Series title at some point just because there's so much talent between you look at their payroll situation, you see the youth, you see the age. I mean, if you were to ask me who are the team's best positioned to be perennial contenders here as we get into the next three years, it's the Dodgers, it's the Braves, it's the Padres, it's the Rays. I mean, those are the top four for me. And to be in that class means you've done something right. So while I'm sure this is a very, very tough Monday morning for a lot of Braves fans out there, look, this team took a step forward. They had been knocked out in the division series the last two years. Last year was a lot worse than this year if you're a Braves fan, the way game five ended against the Cardinals in the NLDS. To get to game seven, to push the best team in baseball, and the Dodgers are the best team in baseball, let's not kid ourselves, to the brink, and to take that step was a huge development for this team, for this organization, for this franchise. This was a great year for the Braves. They have a lot to look forward to, and for my money, nothing to be ashamed of. In our other game, other series, I guess I should say, because we have multiple games, you know, but in our other series, we had the Rays come within a, uh, a couple of hairs, you know, thickness of blowing, of becoming only the second team to blow a 3-0 lead in the LCS. But they didn't. And the key thing about this is it's when in advance, if you're Tampa Bay, the fact that you went from 3-0 to 3-3 doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it says 4-3 Tampa advances to the World Series. That was, uh, what a great series for one. That was a series that had a little bit of everything. We had great defense. I mean, great defense. We had big players doing big things. We had throwing the kitchen sink at a pitching. You know, we also had some great performances by starting pitchers. And at the end of the day, that's one of the things I'm going to take from this is Charlie Morton, who, I mean, Charlie Morton's not a Hall of Famer. Charlie Morton's, you know, not going to be a Hall of Famer. But Charlie Morton absolutely belongs in the Hall of Very Good for a very long time. And this is yet another significant moment in a career that's had a number of significant moments in the postseason. Charlie Morton is the ultimate lesson of pitchers take longer. Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. These guys can turn it around at various points in their career. Charlie Morton was drafted in 2002. He didn't pitch a hundred innings in a season in a major league season until 2011, nine years after he was drafted. He didn't, become Charlie Morton as we know it until 2017, until he was 34. And here he is, one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. I was at this series, all seven games. It was tremendous to watch. I mean, Charlie Morton has gone 4-0 in winner-take-all postseason games with a sub-1 ERA. No one else in baseball history has even three wins in a winner-take-all postseason game. Everyone else has two. He's got four. He's 5-0 and in all potential elimination games. Also the most in Major League history. I mean, Charlie Morton has been the guy over the last three years, really dating back to 2017 when he won Game 7 of the ALCS and Game 7 of the World Series, that you want on the, ball, you want on the mound, you want to give the ball to in a Game 7 more than any other pitcher in Major League Baseball. And it's just been a tremendous development. You know, he talked about it. I asked him in the post-game press conference, you know, what is it about that situation that, you know, makes you feel comfortable or confident? He said, to be honest, 
you know, he's dealt with self-doubt for so much of his career and just a team having the faith in him really just made him feel good and gave him the confidence to go out there and perform. And it's just an awesome story. And again, I keep going back to, we see it so often with high school pitchers, especially, you know, again, Max Fried, it took him seven years before he became, you know, a really good big league starter. Ian Anderson doing this as quickly as he has, he's the exception. A lot of these guys that take the high school guys, it takes six, seven, eight, nine years. And Charlie Morton has become what he's become after a long wait. You know, he was shipped around a couple different teams and finally broke through in Houston. And um, he's also just a, a great A human being. You just feel good for And this was a great series. And I thought Charlie Morton having the outing he did to finish it off was just very fitting and very appropriate and a great moment in Ray's franchise history. Another thing that stands out for me is this is where the Rays, and again, we'll preview the World Series tomorrow, but where the Rays and Dodgers are so different. Like when I look at the Dodgers and you look at this lineup, you, you kind of wonder sometimes, how, how does anyone ever get them out? Because uh, let's just look at MVP caliber players, players who can have an MVP season. We have Cody Bellinger, it's been an MVP. We have Mookie Betts. We have Corey Seager. I would say that Justin Turner is a guy who, you know, again, in the right situation could have been an MVP. You have those. You have the, you have the Rays. The Rays had a lot of guys who had a lot of hitters who had really brutal ALCSs. Austin Meadows was two for 22. Brandon Lau looked so lost at the plate. Brandon Lau looked lost at the plate. Yandy Diaz didn't do a whole lot. Hunter Renfro didn't do much. Mike Brasso, hero of the LDS, went 0 for 10. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer, who did battle a, a, a wrist injury, was 2 for 12. As a team, the Rays hit 201, 296, 379 in that series. If you want comparisons, the Astros hit 263, 5401. If you were going to make a prediction there and ask me who won the seven game series and those were the numbers, you would say, well, clearly the, the, the Astros, I, basically the, the ask the Rays were uh, four, you know, they had four hitters who Brandy Rosarena was insane. G man Choi had a number of good moments, Manuel Margot. So you had those three guys and then Mike Zanino had a couple of big hits, including a big homer, you know, so as a whole, the Astros pitching staff really did kind of shut them down. But the thing that this has been true about the Rays all season is the Rays don't the Rays don't have a guy where you say, uh-oh, you know, he's the guy you have to you have to avoid. They're a team that has six outfielders. They're a team that you, you've talked about it before, but they put a different lineup out, of, out every day because they don't really have almost anyone who's uh, absolute regular at a position. Kiermaier in center when he's healthy, Willie Adamas at, at, at shortstop, and to some extent, Zanino a catcher. That's it. Like, they just bounce guys around all over the place. Any day, it could be, and any series, it could be someone else. And, okay, for the entire playoffs right now, it's been Randy Orozarena, who did not make his Rays debut, COVID reasons part of this, but did make his Rays debut, Till there was basically a month left in the season. And here he is. And obviously they do not make it to the world series without Randy Rosarena having hitting four home runs in the LCS 
to go on top of what he did before. But I, utter credit to this team. I don't, there are parts of, there are days where I look at it and go, I don't know how they did this. There was a lot of times that I felt that way until I was sitting in the stands, well, press row, really, watching them throughout the ALDS, throughout the ALCS, seeing 12 games out of them. You get it. The defense they play is just so suffocating. And, and I talked about this earlier in the season. It's really disheartening to a lot of teams. I mean, you're doing everything right. You're having great at-bats. You're wearing this pitching staff down. You square up a baseball, you crush it, and they make the play. We saw Willie Adamas play ridiculous defense the whole series. Kiermaier in center, Margot in right. G-Man Choi with some unreal stretches at first base. Joey Wendell at third base was a vacuum cleaner. I mean, they made every play. They turned so many balls in play into outs that a lot of other teams wouldn't have. And over time, that just wears a team down, and, and it allows them to, again, there were a lot of times in the series where you're like, man, the Astros or even previously the Yankees could have been up five to one here, six to one here. And instead it's one, one it's two, one because they made all the plays defensively. They kept themselves in games. And look, this is an offense that for the most part is going to score three runs, four runs. This is not a raise offense. that's going to bust out and for the most part score seven, eight runs in a game, but their defense and their pitching keeps, keeps it low, keeps them within striking distance Big home run here from Randy Rosarena. Big home run here from Mike Zanino. Manuel Marco with a big shot. I mean, it's a kind of an old school formula. Pitching and defense keep the game close and then get a big hit. And they've done it really, really, really well. And again, you give credit to the players. Um, you know, they've gone out and they've performed. On the flip side, the the Astros come one win away from becoming the first team to finish the regular season with a losing record to make the world series at the same time. I use that as a, as a lead in to say this, this is a good team. Yes. They did go 29 and 31 during the regular season. It's hard to watch this team right now and not go a little bit of how did they go 29 and 31 with this many guys in the lineup. And the, the key thing to me, though, the, the, the thing that will be important for the Astros long term that I think happened in, in this postseason is validation that while they are getting older and while they are losing, uh, you know, Michael Brantley, George Springer are both, uh, you know, free agents now, I, I guess, well, not technically now, but they will be. And, you know, add Justin Verlander to that, you know, the, the possibility of Justin Verlander may never pitch for them again. You know, you, you have all that because he's not, he's signed for 2021, but we don't know if he's even going to pitch in, in 2021. This team is getting older and, and they're going through the process like everyone does. But what happened this year that I think is very significant for the Astros going forward is they now have a young rotation and bullpen that they should have for years to come. It's not a Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is one of the two best pitchers of the 21st century, I would argue. But it is a Framber Valdez and a Christian Javier. And we can just keep going down the list. You know, Jose Arquiti. That's, that, that's three young starters who all should be key parts of this Astros team for years to come. It's a bullpen that basically uh, of, of guys who won't hit arbitration 
for many more years, who in many cases came up in, in big moments time after time after time. Now, uh, a key thing is, is that they, it's, it's absolutely about, you know, if, if they lose Springer and Carlos Correa heads free agency after next year and Jose Altuve's, you know, aging curve, you know, continues and this team's lineup could need a lot of work long-term and that could be an issue, but they do also have Jordan Alvarez. They have Kyle Tucker. They have Alex Bregman. This team is a team that, that also, to me, if I'm looking for 2021 and beyond, I feel probably more optimistic about them now than I did coming into the season, which is weird considering that Justin Verlander, their best pitcher, is now out for all of next year. I wrote about this in my Game 7 story that the series did feel a little bit like a passing of the torch. Um, the Astros the last four years have won more games than any other team in the American League, made the ALCS four years in a row, won a World Series, reached another. Obviously, uh, those games were ill-gotten, and yes, the cheating scandal absolutely helped them. Let's not kid ourselves, but these are still very talented players, and you know, as I wrote, the banners remain. Um you know, the Astros have been, you know, the top dogs in the American League since 2017 in four straight ALCSs. You see that this did feel like a passing of the torch. You know, the Rays are now the team that have the best record in the American League. They're going to the World Series and they have the number one farm system. I mean, when you talk about, hey, this team's in really good shape for years to come, you can't ask for anything more than that. Um, this is this is a Rays team that has a chance to kind of replace the Astros and be that team that when we look up four years from now, it's like, Hey, they've won more games than any other team in the league. They've been to a world series. They got to another. I mean, that, that potential is there. Um, but that, that doesn't mean the Astros are cooked again, as you mentioned, they, they have a lot of talented players. You know, let's not underestimate, you know, George Springer is a superstar and, and really been a fulcrum of this team for so long. His loss, if he leaves in free agency will be significant. Michael Brantley is just one of the best pure hitters in baseball. He was the number three hitter on this team time and time again. He was a big bat who really, you know, came through in a big situation for them. Losing him is going to hurt. And Josh Reddick as well. Obviously, he's, he's not what he was in his prime, but still a dangerous left-handed hitter. They're going to lose him this offseason potentially as well, too. So losing Springer and Brantley, essentially, you don't lose those guys and get better. And then next year, yeah, you're looking at potentially Granky, Correa, McCullers all leaving in free agency as well. So there's going to be some significant talent that leaves within the next two years. But you're right. When we had talked about this in a previous podcast, we know within the scouting industry, the baseball world, the Astros had a little bit of a reputation for, yeah, they develop pitchers who are good for trade value, but they don't really develop good major league pitchers. Like in terms of actual major league performance, their pitching prospects, the track record was not great. Well, we saw Jose Arquiti come up last year. This year, Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, two homegrown guys really step up. There's no question you feel much, much better about the future outlook for this Astros team saying, hey, we've got three homegrown young pitchers who, you know, have a chance to be really good. Again, this was a short season. You have to see how they hold up over 30 starts, 100, 160, 180 innings, but there's a lot to like with those three young guys. So you definitely feel better in that sense, but I don't think we can under, I don't think you should underestimate what the losses, if they do leave of Springer and Brantley will mean to this team in this lineup. Those are two great, great players. And again, we'll, we'll see, you know, we, we will have a whole off season to dissect, uh, you know, all of that as well. 
tomorrow we're, we're saving the the preview we'll do that tomorrow on the podcast because we still have another day before the you know before the the series start um we'll probably be doing that to be honest though a little bit before they announced the the rosters for the world series i would expect that we're probably going to see one long guy you know I, I i don't know if josh fleming will be on the Rays roster i'll put it that way like it's going to be something where now we're back to that we'll wrap it up with this now we're back to normal there's going to be two games then we'll have an off day, then we'll have three games, then we'll have an off day, and two more if needed. Having just gone through the, the, it's more of a sprint than a marathon, but seven games in seven days. What did you think was good about that? And what did you think was bad about that? What was good was it resembled the major league regular season. It was the same tempo, the same rhythm teams have to deal with. And I like that. Um, I think what I, I didn't like is it seemed like a lot of teams were being very stubborn about, no, we're going to have four starters and we're not going to have a fifth starter. When in a lot of cases, you really needed a fifth starter teams choosing bullpen games. There are some cases where a team had to do a bullpen game, the Braves in game five, they didn't have another option, but um, there were some cases, you know, even in the division series teams choosing bullpen games when they had a starter available or they put a starter in the bullpen and chose not to bring him back out into the rotation. As soon as the schedule came out, it seemed like a lot of teams were being very, very stubborn to their own detriment, which I did not understand. Um, and because of that, I mean, the teams who had the most pitching depth were the ones who were able to survive this. And even, you know, even the Dodgers did this to a degree where they, you know, insisted on having maybe an opener and bringing Gonsolin in behind them, you know, and they didn't really need to do that, but they did it anyway. And it, I, I don't want to say it worked because it didn't work. It worked out. There's a difference between something working and something working out. It worked out. Um, but, you know, this is the way teams have chosen to do this. And it is what it is. And I think as we move into the World Series, we get back to having the off days. And, and next year, where for all intents and purposes, we're going to go back to the traditional postseason schedule so teams can have a travel day because you need to play in home ballparks with fans in the stands. Teams will be able to go back to the, okay, you know, we only need four starters max. And in reality, for some teams, it means three. Um, it was just weird seeing a lot of teams not adapt or adjust to the, oh, we actually need a fifth starter here. And I think it hurt a lot of teams, that stubbornness, but it is what I'll, it is. I'll push back on you on that. Very few teams ever have a fifth starter who you want getting outs in a key game. And I, I would, and I would argue in this case, I can't, point to a team that had a guy who they would have been better off. Again, you could say the Dodgers, but the Dodgers won their series. So they, they won deciding they didn't want to use a fifth starter. The Braves, as you said, didn't have anyone who in, in any way could make that. They did do the fifth starter. It was AJ Minner who went for three, um, you know, and I don't think the Rays or Astros, I think that every team in this probably just because of the nature of how good fifth starters are, I, I do push back on teams. The reason teams don't use fifth starters in the playoff generally is because they're not guys. You What works in the regular season, if that guy gets you through the fifth and he gives up three runs, you go, eh, is what we expect. It's a fifth starter. In the playoffs, that's the thing that kind of, that guy may give up five in, in three and you're really in trouble then. Here's I know we disagree on this. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. So, and again, this goes beyond the fifth starter. It's just 
depth stars in general. So go back to say the Padres in the wild card series in the NLDS, Clement and Levent, Lamette and Clevenger, excuse me, go down with injuries in the wild card series. Lamette's not available for the division series. They had moved Garrett Richards into the bullpen. They, he's a starter. He'd been a better starter than Chris Paddock had all season. They had made that move. And then as soon as the injuries happened, they just kept him in the bullpen. When in reality, you really, really, really needed him to start. Yes, you feel much, much, much better about your chances if Garrett Richards is starting game three of the DS as opposed to a bullpen day. Again, it seemed like teams just, they seem to say, oh, okay, we're just going to use a bullpen day when in, in some cases they didn't have to. Again, there were games where they had to. There is no question. It just, again, with five games in five days, three and three, you know, seven and seven, however you want to play it. When I say three and three, especially coming off a wild card series, um, there were a lot of teams who had starting options they chose not to use. And that to me just didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's not going to be an issue in future years because we're going to go back to a normal schedule where teams have the normal off days. They have in a postseason series, which to me is the most important thing, having, you know, covered these neutral site playoff games. And there was some energy in the park in Arlington yesterday, but there's no question. It doesn't compare to home stadiums, having 50,000 fans going nuts, the entire city just having, you know, a giant party in the streets outside the stadium that's first and foremost, most important. So when we go back to that next year, it's going to be kind of a moot point anyway. So no use getting too worked up over it. But it has been fun so far, and we still have uh, as many as seven games to go before we have to say goodbye to the 2020 MLB season. It's been fun. We'll be continuing to do this. We'll keep rolling along. We'll have the preview of uh, what we think about the, uh, the World Series tomorrow on the podcast, and then Back on Wednesday, we'll be talking about game one. So for Kyle, I'm JJ here on the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.